0: We uh, we're continuing our series, known how God makes Himself known to us. In 2009, a monumental movie came out, Avatar. James Cameron's fantastical world was marvelous. Does anyone here remember that movie? Yeah. It's ten years ago. I know it, it's that, that. I remember that movie vividly. Uh, This movie, what was so powerful about it is it soaked the imagination for three hours into just a fantastical, vibrant world. And because it was so spectacular, because it was the way in which it communicated the message and the imagery, there was actually a Facebook (coughs) group that was created after the movie, and it was called Post-Avatar depression group, P-A-D, so that the people after the movie, after they went and watched this movie, they could console one another (laughs) because of the imagination in which it played into. And so elsewhere online, a 17-year-old wrote, when I woke up this morning after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It was like my whole life everything I've done and worked for lost its meaning. It just seems so meaningless. I don't really see any reason to keep doing things at all. I live in a dying world. And many of the reasons Avatar 2 has not come out is due to the lack of technology to push people further into the escape of the imaginary world. I don't know how the 17-year-olds Statement sits with you. But longing for an escape is one of the faulty maps that we see in our world. It's where this malaise has set over the everyday aspects of life. So this search for excitement and enchantment begins. It's we feel this pull, this tug towards the beyond because the everyday just seems so ordinary. And so we try to escape with the click of a remote, the flip of a page, the scroll of a thumb, or disappearing into a garage. These distractions attempt to fill a void that honestly will never be satisfied apart from God. But which God? It is only the God of the Bible who fills this void, and it is He who makes Himself known to us. And we're using this terminology I said a second ago called faulty maps as we work through Colossians to see how God has given us himself, how he's given us Jesus to make himself known so that we know what we should have as a picture of what the good life is really about. And so last week, if you weren't here, you can catch that up on on a podcast online, but I invited you along for a journey. And not to belabor last week's metaphor too long, but seriously, there are patterns and stories that influence our lives. And they want to shape our attitudes and actions. They're trying to to mold us and shape us and evoke something out of us that is honestly contrary to God's design. And here's the interesting piece. I shouldn't really say interesting, it's just more of a fact, is they do shape us. Think about a TV show, show you watched recently, and at the conclusion of it, what type of emotions did you feel after putting down a good book, the excitement and the enchantment that you felt that you long to go back to, to that escape, or that concert that you go to, or that sporting event, after which maybe your team loses, and you're crushed. See, the, the, these, this world, these, the draw to this excitement and the enchantment, we try to escape. And they shape us and they evoke our emotions. And Paul's major focus, as he addresses the church in Colossae, and more about this church in a minute, But we have to see how this varying influence, how they're shaping us, And so if we're not active and following the direction of Jesus daily, we're going to find ourselves in a place that we never intended to be. And so we have to be very purposeful about having a daily direction towards Jesus, or the result will be the world shapes us instead of us shaping the world. Because we're dealing with these first two verses in Colossians today, we're going to look more at some setting and some characters so that as we journey through this book, we're going to know what Paul and how he's trying to critique the social narrative of the day and begin to bridge that gap between the narrative of their day and that first century and our world today. And so some of you, some of what I'm going to share this morning is just repeat information. If you've been in church a while, you're going to say, Kyle, I've heard this before. Well, the reason I'm not bringing this message so that you can rehear some of this old information is actually so that you can take it And is see if you have internalized it, and you're able to actually share that with someone else. Has it actually affected the attitudes and actions in your heart and in your life? Or have you just simply received it as information of the context? And for some of you, this is going to be new. And so as you listen and as you process, there's going to be some personal challenge to say, do I agree with this? Or is this something that I have pushed back on? And wrestle within your soul. Because here's the point that we're going to land on today. To be in Christ is not safe. To be in Christ is secure and sent. Let me say that again. To be in Christ is not safe. It is secure and sent. So let's let's see how I got there. Verses 1 and 2, again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this is a letter that Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, and he's writing them a letter, and he wants them to understand how God has made himself known. And so here at the beginning, there's this relatively standard greeting for the first century. And so this greeting announces who is writing, who's Paul writing to, and also uh, what we see later on in the letter is who is going to be be sharing this. And so what you need to know about this greeting in this letter is that Paul is writing this to this church, and what he's done is he's going to hand it to someone— and this messenger is going to go to this church and read it aloud. And so, yes, someone is going to read this letter aloud in front of the church. And so what we learn later on in these verses is that this guy named Tycheus and Onesimus are the ones who are carrying this letter. And this is important Because social class was a big deal in the first century world. The Christian community, the church, broke social class because of Jesus. And Paul, we'll get to him in a second, sends someone who can explain the situation. So Tychus and Onesimus, who is actually a runaway slave. And so at least one of Paul's messengers, Onesimus, is someone who deserves death or at least flogged according to society. And so Paul sends him to proclaim a message to this new church from which the area that he just came from. And the reason that Paul is able to send Onesimus and others with this message of this letter comes because of the very greeting that we read. So who is this Paul? Paul is someone who is a Jewish man. He was someone who is very antagonistic to Christianity. And you can actually read his story in Acts chapter 8 and his transition into following Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And so I'd encourage you to take some time this week to go back and read some of that account of how he goes from someone who hates Christianity, is very skeptical, is in many ways a terrorist, killing people, murdering people, to then following Jesus. And being one who then goes out and starts new churches and is bringing this message about Jesus to places that have never heard the name of Jesus. And so Paul is very passionate about Jesus. And those he influenced went and started new churches. And this church in Colossae is the result of him sharing the good news about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection to someone. This person, Epaphras, internalizing it. And then starting a new church here in Colossae. So, Paul, in many ways, is writing a letter to his spiritual grandkids. That family language is very important. See, so, but Paul's change, going from persecuting Christianity to walking with Jesus daily, isn't simply about going from a bad life to a good life. Actually, this deconstruction that he was doing and causing, Paul's actually praised for this persecution that he was going through. He wanted to destroy anything that upset the power and social balance of the day in the name of a higher cause. And some today may be wrestling with this idea that I'm really not that bad. Why would I need to follow Jesus? I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Do I need Christianity to make me better? And to sum up what Paul's point is, he says, Christ doesn't help you go from bad or good or middle of the road to great. Following Jesus gives you a whole new way to be human in our world. And it is through Jesus that our gray world comes to life and color. Right. For Paul, unlike, Paul interacted with a lot of different worldviews. And he had to be able to look at them, understand them, and be able to see how Jesus intersected these different worldviews. And so Paul uses this term, an apostle of Christ. Apostle simply means messenger or sent one. And so it's good to know as we read some of these passages of Scripture, some of these terms that come throughout the Bible that maybe you know, maybe you're unfamiliar with. But this is a term that simply means messenger or sent one. So Paul is a person who is called by Christ, to represent Christ, to proclaim Christ, and thereby serve as a foundation of the new people of God. So it's Jesus, Paul says, who calls him. And what's interesting is we see this word, an apostle of Christ, Jesus. Now sometimes those two words are flipped around and it says Jesus Christ. So that's not like a first and last name. Christ had very serious terminal, it was a very serious term. It means Messiah. So basically what Paul is saying is here's this Jewish man who's changed his life, who's reoriented his whole life around Jesus, and Jesus is the one whom all the Jewish faith pointed to. It's this, he's the promised one who is going to right wrongs, who is going to vindicate, who is going to basically conquer evil and show us what it looks like to be truly human. And so the fulfillment of Judaism is found in Jesus. And so Jesus is this great Davidic king to which Judaism has reached fulfillment. And from the outset, Paul points to the kingship of Jesus. And he uses this Christ word to point to Jesus' kingship. And so over the next year, we're going to go through Colossians relatively slowly And the reason why is because we're going to look at words like Christ and sit on them and be able to say, here's how it begins to intersect our lives on an everyday basis. And so this Christ is not just, again, just a first or last thing, but it's something that shapes the way in which we live our life. And so his use of Christ would remind these Gentile Christians in Colossae of the Old Testament roots of their faith. Israel's story is fulfilled in Jesus. But this title doesn't just point to Judaism. It also critiques the culture. See, they lived in a Roman world. Colossae was a Roman city. It was on the decline, but it was a Roman city. So their ruler was Caesar. And so the idea of calling Jesus Christ Or Lord was also a direct assault that Caesar is not ultimately in control. Mm -hmm. Jesus is in control. Mm That it is Jesus who shapes our life, who directs our lives, whom we have to be influenced by. It is not Caesar. And so this push towards a king and a kingdom under the lordship of Jesus Pushes believers in that time frame to wrestle with who are they serving, who are they following on a daily basis. And in fact, it arose suspicion and it arose and it brought about critique because Israel, again, where Judaism was and where Jesus came from, was some backwater nation. And this term, this Christ. That didn't belong to Rome's story. It belonged to theirs. And once again, it shows how it doesn't matter what your background is or where you're from. Whether you've been a Christian for a little while or for a long time, the term Jesus and following Jesus invites all to be a part of God's forever story. So this king and this kingdom aroused deep suspicion. And so Paul's message is about to bring that he is about to bring in this letter brings effect to everyone who is listening. And Paul is not alone in writing this letter, a Jewish man. He's writing it with Timothy, who is a Gentile, who is someone who Paul should have yet hated. But he is co-authoring this letter with someone from a wildly different background. Someone who was without a dad, likely. Someone who was raised and schooled by his mom and grandma. And we see that Paul, again, considers Timothy a spiritual son in the faith. And how Timothy comes into this story is you can read about it in Acts 16. And I'm giving you some of these passages because, again, I, we want to see daily direction under Jesus. And so I'm giving you some of these notes, not because we're going to look at it during this time, but because I want to give you some places to go this week in your Bible to begin to read and to see, okay, who are some of these guys, and then how does what the message they bring to this church, how does their story play into that? And so what I love about this is he calls Timothy our brother. And not to overstate the significance. But a Gentile, this is someone who Paul would have hated. And this is the transforming power of King Jesus that those whom we hate become famous. That's right. Come on. Our brother says someone, it's, it's someone who we work side by side with. So think about this. There are probably people that you aren't super fond of right now in your life. Here's the hope. And the, and, and, the, and the reorientation under the lordship of King Jesus is they can become a co-worker. They can become family. They can be someone that you put your arm around and say, I am glad you're here. Your enemy becomes your closest relative and family. This is the radicalness. See, to be in Christ is not safe. It means we've got to put our trust. we got to exercise forgiveness. We've got to do some things where it makes us a little uncomfortable because we know that following Jesus because of his life, his death, and our resurrection, it causes us to self-sacrificial love, which means enemies be- can become friends. And better than that, enemies can become family. And that's what we want. As part of Generation Church. That's why we intentionally say in our vision, we are everyday people expanding God's family. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what your background is. Yeah. You are welcome and invited to be part of God's family. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And in fact, we, won't, we, won't, we won't want you to. Because God's family is the best part of family to yeah. be part of. That's right. That's right. It really is. And we can be for each other. And so it means to do this, and to do this well, we have to adopt the same attitudes and actions necessary to maintain familial <clears throat> unity. It's not relationship at arm's length. There is risk involved. There is trust. It means that you're willing to connect with someone and learn their story and open up and be a little more vulnerable than maybe you're comfortable it's pressing through why because of jesus see safe is an aversion of obstacles from the outside And following christ being in christ is not safe but it is secure and it is sent so fantasy the books and films and television shows they all play on our on our mind that it evokes those emotions And the reason why we're drawn to that in contrast to the followership of Jesus is because oftentimes we can experience risk, joy, excitement, things we would never in our world do from the safe place of our couch or our car. We can participate in things that take us out of this world while never leaving the comfort of our own homes. Following Jesus takes us out of our comfort zones. But we can have a security as we're taken out of those comfort zones. See, we said a minute ago, we are everyday family or everyday people committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. Which means we must get into the Monday through Saturday. We must follow Jesus and those spaces where you live, work and play. And so more important than this church's physical location being in Colossae is that spiritual location that they are in Christ. And to be in Christ is to belong to him. It is to say yes to following Jesus. It is to say, Jesus, you are boss, you are in charge, and I'm going to live in response to to the way you lived your life, the fact that you died for me, and the fact that you rose and conquered death. And it's living in light of that and how that shapes all life. And so we're not going to be able to continue to cut flesh that out in every aspect today, but that's where we're going on this journey, is to continue to see how does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and saying yes to him, to be in him, to be united with him, how is that shaping every aspect of of our lives, in the first place, it takes us is it reor- reorients us to where we get our guidance from. It's where we find our source of identity. See this in Christness. The first thing it does is it shapes our identities. Shapes our identities so that these this identity, when we are secure in our identity, being in Christ, we can then be sent, and live purposeful in a world that is likely hostile. And Paul, how we get that is because Paul calls these believers saints. And the term saints taps into an important Old Testament idea, this Old Testament tradition, according to Israel that they were called out and to be set apart as God's chosen people. And so saints sometimes to our ears can be a little misleading. And sometimes we think, oh, it means I just got to pretend to have it all together or be good character or, or, or just, just be good all the time. Now, that may be what saint leads to, being of good, upstanding character, and this to be implied. But it's less concerned with the outward actions than with the commitments and loyalties to have and belong to God. And in fact... A saint is someone who is dedicated to God. And because of that dedication, they are then holy to use the synonymous word. We sung a song with that word in it. And it's not their actions and attitudes that necessarily make someone holy when they are in Christ and united with Christ. It is the fact that they have the presence of the Holy Spirit and dwelt within them. It's the presence of God that makes something holy. So if you are a follower of Jesus today If you have said yes to Jesus Have been united with him in baptism Then you are holy You are a saint And the course of life Is to catch up your character With your status And who Christ sees you as As blameless and perfect And as a saint Because you've been united with him Therefore your identity Is secure If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and your identity is secure in Christ, that can't be taken away. No one's coming and snatching the Holy Spirit out of inside of you. The Holy Spirit isn't smarter. Like, that, that can't happen. So you don't have to fear that being taken away, which means that you can go into any and every situation so confident in who God says you are that it roots out all fear. Another scripture says, perfect love casts out fear. And the presence of the Holy Spirit proves that God's love for you is secure through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or anything you can do to make him love you less. He just loves you. And nothing more clearly displays that, at uniting with him, than in baptism. Next week, we're having a baptism Sunday. Some of you in this room, this is like the first time you're hearing about this. It's okay. We would love for you to participate in that. Because it beautifully symbolizes and beautifully communicates. So you saying yes to Jesus. I'm going to change my life and focus it on Jesus. And through baptism, confirming that union with Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that that identity and that security present there can never be taken away. This picture of your old self being buried, new life being born, has to be ingrained. And we have to remind ourselves this over and over. And in many ways, that's why we gather together. It's to remind each other. Yeah. We, are yeah. we are in Jesus. We are in Jesus. We are being shaped by it. That's why we're going to take communion a little bit later. It's to reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Yeah. That that cannot be taken away. That's right. And we can have confidence in this and how it shapes our life and our identity. Because that because God calls us children. And this is radical. Because the people that you think are disgusting can become saints. That's right. Amen. God has the same attitude for anyone who comes to know him, even your worst enemies. For some of you that absolutely terrifying. But it will bring great joy when you see someone become part of the family. Yes. And not because you've, they're now part of your perspective or they're, they're now doing what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. But because you know there's something that internally happens when you follow Jesus. Amen. There's a peace and a joy yes. that comes. And what Paul is, is trying to help these Colossian believers understand, even from the outset, is that he doesn't call them heathens or anything else. He calls them saints. Even though their conduct may be far from perfect. Even though all their attitudes and the perceptions of the world aren't perfect, they are still saints because they are in Christ. And so while calling his readers holy or saint are typical for Paul, here's what's not typical: is addressing them as faithful. Paul uses this phrase, he calls them faithful. Most of his letters, if you flip through the back of your Bible, you'll see a lot of the letters are written by Paul. And he typically calls people saints. He reminds them, yes, it's in Christ. Like, this is a good thing. Remind them. But he doesn't always call them faithful. But the reason he calls them faithful is because their faith has been made known throughout the world. See, the reason he calls them faithful is not just because they've received this new identity, but because they've begun to display it in the world around them. See, to, to be in Christ is not safe, but it is secure and sent. Our goal as believers and followers of Jesus is not to just receive this new identity, but to display this identity where we live, work, and play in the everyday aspect of our lives. And Paul wants to remind them of that, that they have to continue to maintain their allegiance to Jesus that they have been taught. See, you can't just set your course on Jesus and then forget it. So, sometimes we do that with our GPS. You know, we just kind of set it and then forget because it's going to navigate us that way. The Christian life is not a set and forget faith. It is continually coming back to say, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What has he done? How is he shaping my life? So that when I show up to work on Monday, a person that I've had a short temper with, I may be able to show them a little extra grace. Someone who makes that offhanded comment that drives you crazy, a little more patience. Something doesn't go your way, you get some bad news, and all you do is feel like giving up and crying here you go, it's a good thing the hope's in Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that can be taken away. Amen. And Jesus can't be taken away. Amen. So our faith is not a set and forget. <clears throat> faith. So their faith, this Colossian church, has received the, the good news about Jesus. and has begun to display it. They have lived sent lives. And their reasoning is because of Jesus. Often around here, you'll hear us say more and more. It's part of our vision. When people ask you why you do what you do, where the joy comes from, why you're able to put up uh, with some maybe negative comments, what we want to ingrain into your vocabulary are those three words. Why? Because of Jesus. A little more patience, a little more joy, hope, hope, Why you choose to do something versus choose not to do something else? Because of Jesus. So to be in Christ is not safe. It is secure and sent. Safe is the aversion of obstacles from the outside. Secure is to be fixed and immovable from the inside. Secure from the outside and sent to live where we live, work, and play. See, and when we live sent lives, this sentence. encounters a dying world and brings new life. And who these Colossian believers are, as we get into a little bit more of who they are and some of their story, who they are comes from what Christ did. And this key verse in chapter 1 is, again, the mystery made known. So when we perceive a lack or just mundane in the everyday moments, that simply seem to be on repeat. No matter what we experience or how often we chase after that experience, we know that we can't keep up with the increasing appetite for more. And our temptation is going to be to dive back into that world fantasy, to be just like everyone else, to disengage, and to be distracted. We serve a God in Jesus who is not disengaged or distracted. Who left the comforts of heaven and stepped foot on earth Amen. to get in real life with people, to listen to people, to ask questions, to show them what true hope and what joy looks like. So the most exciting life, the most enchanting life is not one of disengagement or disenchantment. To do real life with real people in the everyday and watch that as you begin to get into the mess, to bring hope and joy, just like Jesus did, the mundane and the malaise begins to wear off. So the journey is not to go deeper into here or into here, but to go live out there. And We won't stay present where God has put us unless we remember that our identity is secure. And it is secure. That's how we can continue to engage and engage and engage in our world again. So I want to conclude today in the same way that Paul concludes. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace and peace. So, your status is ultimately dependent upon God's grace and His intervention in your life. It's dependent on Him and what He did in and through Jesus. And so, we want you to experience that, we want you to know God's grace and God's peace, so that you experience wholeness and wellness, and the most exciting and enchanting life because of Jesus. So maybe today is your first time. Maybe it's maybe you're someone who is not a believer. Very candidly and very openly, I want to invite you along for the journey. Come learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. With. We're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. But we serve Jesus, who was perfect, and can bring us lasting answers, and can motivate us to engage and engage and engage in a world that wants to escape. So we hope that you find life and life for the full through following Jesus. So will you do that with us? In fact, when you wake up this week and your feet hit the floor, <clears throat> will you say just a few simple words? Jesus loves me, and this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Mm-hmm. Your identity is secure mm-hmm. in heaven. And because he loves you so, you can go live out there and change the world and live an exciting and enchanting life. That the watching world will want to experience. Father, I pray that those in this room will remember your love for them. That they are saints and they are holy. That they are yours. I pray maybe some people for the very first time in this room want to put their trust in you. I pray that that they do that. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for your unmerited favor and moving on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.